Uh, we've been in a teaching series called Encounters with Jesus. And we're going through the Gospel of Mark, different Gospel accounts. Last week, uh, we're looking at how G- uh, Peter walks on water to Jesus. So he sees, thinks it's a ghost, realizes it's Jesus, or Jesus says, it's me. Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's I. And so Peter steps out the boat, and then he starts panicking and he starts sinking. And the message was, that fix your eyes on Jesus. He calls us to do some scary things sometimes, to fix our eyes on him. What I didn't say, I didn't go into, was he did the best job of all the disciples. There were 11 dry disciples in the boat that did not put their faith and trust in Jesus. But Jesus asked us to do something. Our response is to keep our eyes on him and follow him. We're going to look today about what it means to be a disciple. We'll look at Jesus calling his very first disciples. Uh, so I need to explain what our next phase is once we've left this building, packed the church truck up. I'll do a shorter message. I'm going to read through Luke 5. Read verses 1 to 11. As I'm looking down, that means I'm reading scripture. It's God's inerrant words. As I look up and explain something, that's my best interpretation on it. The thing the most pay attention to is when I'm reading God's word. I will pray for God to open our ears and our minds so we can hear his word and apply it to our lives. Father God, thank you. As we hear about the first call of the disciples, Lord, that's our spiritual heritage. Lord, each person here, we would have never heard the gospel. Those first few fishermen didn't say yes to following you. Jesus, you've changed the world through sincere relationships, through sincere friendships amongst just a handful of people. Father, as we desire as a church people here in Antioch, a Chicago church congregation, Lord, as we desire to bring your kingdom to Chicagoland, will you help us to hear what it is you want us to hear from today's message and apply it to our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Start reading. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gesenaret, The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Quick pause. In any gospel account, there are two types of people. There's crowds and people, or there's disciples. There's a very big difference. Church attender, saved Christian. That makes sense? Anyone could listen to what Jesus wanted to say. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to live faithfully for him. So the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. A fisherman would fish at night. That's the best time to go fishing. So the morning as dawn is coming up, that's where you clear everything away, get it ready for the next night of fishing. Verse 3, he got into one of the boats, pretty brave, uh, the, the one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When anyone sits down in the ancient Near East, that's a position a teacher takes. I am not going to do it because I'm wearing skinny jeans. Uh, He sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
Verse 4, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon, it's another saying Peter, answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And he says, he's saying to Jesus, do you really know what you're talking about? We've been respectful, Master, but like, we've, we've been doing this all night. It's not going to work. But then as he continues, he says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Can you imagine if you're one of those fishermen? Jesus kind of boldly takes one of your boats, teaches in it. You realize that he's some kind of, uh, phar- not Pharisee, sorry, uh, teacher of the law, and he sat down. Then he goes, okay, push him out. We're going to catch some fish. And you're there with him. You're thinking, I've told you already. We've been fishing, and you're not going to catch anything. And then the elation and joy and what has just happened as they start to catch more and more and more fish so that the nets are breaking. They have to call the other boat, and they're catching more and more and more. Like This is a miracle that is happening right in front of them. This isn't an everyday encounter with just a Jewish teacher. Imagine the excitement. You're feeling it, and then it suddenly turns to panic, and they start sinking. It doesn't say what they did. I'm sure they came in, but it was so bountiful, such a bountiful provision by Jesus. They were utterly astounded. And Peter, who, like so many of us, best represents us, this passionate relationship we find out later in the Gospels with Jesus, but he's also kind of really messy in his relationship with Jesus. He's the one that really gets it. He was the one that got out the boat. He's the one that really gets it right at the beginning. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. When you really realize who God is, the king of the universe, the uncreated creator, the alpha and the omega, as you realize how utterly different he is from us, we're suddenly much more aware of how far away from him we are. And so as Peter's realizing this, he's saying he's suddenly convicted of all of his sin. And when we get into a relationship with God, just as Guy was explaining earlier, we kind of confess all the things that we have done wrong. And Jesus accepts people just as they are. We'll go about that time and time and time again. It's the gospel. Jesus accepts us just as we are, forgives us our sins, gives us a new life, and then helps us to follow him as a disciple and helps us to make other disciples. I digress. Uh, Verse 9, as he said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Verse 9, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Whenever you read the Gospels, 
Uh, Luke was a historian. He wrote the Gospels for a ruler who had heard about Jesus and is giving him an account. In the process of writing the Gospel of Luke, Luke became a Christian. He realized that this person who I'm describing is God, and he demands a response from me. Uh, his history in the ancient Near East was selective. It wasn't like exhaustive encyclopedia. This is everything that happened. It's just the key points. But at different parts in gospel accounts, so just add extra bits of detail. You'll kind of know that this is an eyewitness thing that is happening here. And it's this extra bit. So, so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Verse 11, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. That's Jesus calling our spiritual forefathers right there. Ordinary people. He wasn't going into the synagogues. Just regular kind of blue-collar, transparent, honest, nice people. But he didn't choose them because they were nice. He chose them because they were unexpected. He chose them as well because they were fishermen. And he had a point to make, which is, uh, if you follow me, I'm going to want you to draw other people to me. He's just shown them that he is the one that can fill nets full of fish. These disciples had no idea of the adventure they were going on. They had no idea about how his compassion, his wisdom, his teaching would impact their lives. They had no idea when he said, uh, come follow, uh, from now on you'll fish for people. They had no idea of his authority at the time. They'd just seen a miracle, but they didn't know that he was going to die and then be raised from the dead. This same handful of people like you and me, beginning of Acts, you see them before the powerful leaders in the world being accused of subverting the whole world's order. Just a handful of people that said yes to following Jesus. It's like each person here. You find the most extraordinary people just amongst everyday people. People that the more you get to know them, the more and more you fall in love with them. The more you want to learn from them, the more you want to be like them. And the more extraordinary the people are, I found they point to Christ more. Someone is very, very holy, very close to God. You'll notice two things. One, they will always point to God. Two, they are incredibly humble. You see the same with Mother Teresa, different people. Um, is you get extraordinary people, even in here today, 90% of you, no, sorry, all of you, uh, it, just get to know each other. You'll hear some of the most wonderful stories of life change, of sacrifice, of commitment. As we move into our new church season, we're going to be focusing on disciple-making. So what happens uh, as a pastor, my role is to shepherd the flock of God that is among me. It's in 1 Peter 5, and it's also to equip the saints for good work. That's Ephesians 4. So my role is to kind of equip us as a church and shepherd us 
as to where God is calling us to go. As the events of the last year have unfolded, it's been really clear that it's not what I planned. But God has been drawing us closer and closer together. There's now a much more unified sense of readiness for the adventure ahead. Now, there are lots of big churches around here that do not, unfortunately, have that at the front, do not have duct tape on the wall, do not have a truck whose radiator overheats. If you want to be comfortable, you can go to those churches. The crowds have been tired of following Jesus. They could have just gone home. But the disciples were willing, we don't always know what it takes, but willing to say yes to Jesus. That's not saying yes to me, but it's saying yes to being a disciple maker. When we're called to be a disciple, it's open for everyone. Anyone can be a disciple of Jesus. But we don't get to choose the job description for what that looks like. So we don't say, I'll be a disciple maker when I'm less busy. I'll be a disciple maker when I don't have a bad leg. I will be a disciple maker when I have some more free time. There's no clauses when Jesus calls people. Now, I promise you, it was an adventure and a half for these people. They haven't regretted it. Where they are now, they won't have regretted one iota of it. As we follow Jesus building his kingdom, it will be an adventure. But you will not regret it. Now, Jesus, uh, as he's ruling from the right-hand side of God, as he calls us as a people of followers of him to make disciples of him, a disciple is a disciple maker. Those two things are the same. A saved person is a disciple, is a disciple maker. A non-saved person is a crowd, a person, someone that just kind of checks in and checks out. If you go to the cinema, uh, Charlestown 18, great cinema, lovely seats, that, one of those rooms might be even more full than here today. But I promise you, they will not have any kind of kingdom impact like you guys can have in the next few years ahead of us. Jesus is so much more concerned with the salvation of people who don't yet know him than he is for our own comfort. Jesus is so much more concerned with us being transformed to be more like him than he is with our own comfort. And so we as a church, as a leadership team, uh, we're going to be focusing very much on disciple making. As we've been hosting Sunday services here, stuff goes on all the time. We're kind of tired, but not just tired. We're putting all of our energy into Sunday service, Sunday service, Sunday service. And there's very little interaction. We would love for much closer relationships and more interaction, which is what we get in life groups. So life groups are a collection of people, three to 12, sometimes more, uh, that meet uh, pretty much every week to talk about the Christian faith, to pray for one another, to care for one another, to get to know each other well. One of the biggest lies we often believe ourselves, if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. People really knew what was going on in my life. Uh, they, they wouldn't want to spend any time with me. And you find out the more you spend with people, that you are drawn to them, that you love them. 
someone confesses something to me, I'm actually drawn closer to them, not drawn further away. And so we would love you to continue to be drawn closer and closer together. So we're going to be looking at four life groups, really focusing our energies the next couple of months in four life groups. From those four life groups, we're also going to be focusing on disciple-making relationships. Hands up if you're an extrovert. Okay. Hands up if you're an introvert. Okay, you're half and half introverts because the real introverts didn't put their hands up. And that's half of you. If you're an introvert, a real one that didn't put your hand up, does that make you any less of a good friend? No. What you, were your best teachers the most extroverted? No. The people you love the most, are they an introvert, an extrovert? A no. God has made a world of different people. And discipleship looks like being friends with people. And so often the Christian life is described like a race, but it's not a race that we're trying to outrun each other on. It's a race where we're all trying to complete it together. And so as we move to discipleship, we would love you to be in friendships with other people. And you will grow in love for them. You'll have a lot of laughter together. You'll learn to forgive one another. You'll just be drawn closer and closer in this adventure. Now, it's the life that we were meant for. I'm not trying to sell a product. I'm not trying to say, hey, if you do this, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Uh, when I became a Christian, it was great. I was freed from some drug issues. Since then, I know how the world's meant to be and how it actually is, and it gets a whole lot more depressing than when I, before I was a Christian. So I'll be honest with that. But you can live a life of passion and purpose, and it's a life that your creator God has made each one of us for. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, he says, I haven't given them just life. I've given them life to the full. And life to the full is a disciple's life, a disciple-maker's life. As a Christian, the thing that has given me the most joy in my life is watching someone come to faith and then watching their life change. You, it's almost like just watching a child obey you. It's that satisfying. Uh, no, it, you, you see this transformation, and it's such a gift. It's such a gift, and I would love for you to be part of that gift. It's never about finding a complete non-believer, giving them the gospel, and then we're all mature believers together. Typically, when you disciple someone, they're just along the journey towards perfection, which will only come when Jesus comes. And we sometimes progress in holiness and wholeness, and sometimes we do a step back or two. But discipleship is walking together, walking together. We are such a species of delusion all the time, yeah, a species of delusion, constantly kind of convince ourselves of things that aren't true. When you're married, you'll realize that pretty early on. That God's gift to you was your wife to stop you being deluded as much as you used to be. Uh, but God gives us a gift of discipleship. And it helps us grow spiritually. Helps us walk together. I would love that experience for you. We're going to do it in two different ways. One, I am going to ask for Nick Hearn 
who is a life group leader, and Mark Rouchard, who is going to be a life group leader, to take one of these and pass them down the line with a pen or two per line. If you are not in a life group yet, please take one of these. In our next phase, we're getting every single person who calls Antioch Church their home in a life group. And once everyone is in a life group and settled in a life group, uh, as, as this is happening, the leadership, we're going to be praying and discerning about where God is calling us to, to build his kingdom. But the key that unlocks having our own church building where we're called to plant in a community and bring God's kingdom to it is everyone being in a life group. Trust me, when we found the perfect place and you're the one person that's not in a life group and we miss out on it, it's going to feel terrible. No, sorry, I'm appalling. No, we would love you to be in a life group. That is going to move us forward to the next stage. You can fill that out. For the next two months, September and October, we are working through a disciple-making manual titled Multiply. It's written by Francis Chan. He had help from David Platt. Everything is 100% free online. You can go to multiply.com. It's even on our Unshop Chicago webpage. We're planning on meeting these uh, September the 3rd, 4th, and 5th Sundays of the month, but then moving on, we'll normally meet the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th Sundays of every month. We don't meet on the 1st Sunday of every month because we want you to spend time with non-believers and invest in non-believers. But here is what we will be doing the 3rd Sunday in September. Part one is living as a disciple maker. What is a disciple? There's stuff you can work through. You can print these off. There's seven-minute videos. Turn up to Life Group. We'll give you everything you need. What is a disciple? Next week, the command to make disciples. Third week, the heart of a disciple maker. Then in October, life in the church, the local church, the global church. There's then another 15 or so chapters. But we won't be doing those chapters in Life Group anymore. We'll be saying to people, we want you to be in a one-on-one -on -one friendship with someone and be regularly working through this material together. Being a disciple-making church and planting a disciple-making church is about everyone being on the same page as what a disciple-maker is. It's a really good foundation for us to go forward. The second two months after that, so November, December, there's six weeks of Bible studies in this book. It's called The Simplest Way to Change the World. Biblical hospitality as a way of life. We have some wonderfully hospitable people in our church. It's not that it's a shortcoming whatsoever. It's enhancing a strength that we already have. The premise of this book, we spend a third of our life asleep, a third of our life at work, and a third of our life in the home. And so if we're imagining missions work outside of those scenarios, we'll never, ever, ever have time for it. So it's how do you use your home to impact God's kingdom? Really simple stuff. If you're having a cookout, have it in front of your house. Just see who turns up, those kind of things. Um, it talks about the biblical view of hospitality. Very beginning in uh, the Garden of Eden, Adam is created, and God gives him everything. He's showing him around the garden, giving him everything. 
at the end of time, God is being profoundly hospitable. Revelation 21, a new heaven and a new earth come down, and God's city is with us, and he is with us. Like hospitality is a thread that goes through the whole way through the Bible, just as disciple-making does within the New Testament. So we'll be looking at those. Uh, we would love you to be in a life group. Uh, the Rushas and Shelley and myself are going to be in Warrenville. The Currents and the Falcons, they've had a really uh, one that's been going for some time in Wheaton. If you know the Seven Dwarfs restaurant, I think the guy that did the sign was called Lazy because not all of the neon letters work, but it's just by there is the Falcons one. Morrisons live in Lombard. Hello, Lloyd. And Susan, as in Lloyd's men's group, this year's tremendous. And the Haynes guy and his better half, Erin, who's downstairs, they'll be doing 6.30 on Friday in Naperville. These will be light in dark areas. This is where we're going to start that kind of uh, room of making disciples and being disciple makers. Finally, oh, it must be exhausting if you work on the shopping channel. Uh, Antioch Chicago gatherings. Historically, we would use announcements on Sundays to go through what we're going through. Our webpage is live, up to date with every single bit of the, the next phase that is happening. But can we pass one of these out? The same two people that passed it out before? We're putting it on here so you have something to go home with. We will communicate by three means. Newsletter text. It gives you how to text, and the third one is the web page. If you go on the web page, you'll see we've actually updated it to say that we're in a stage where we're getting ready to plant a disciple-making church. If you go on to, my, it says Antioch Church Plant Updates, it talks about phase one. The next couple of months, we're harboring with Life Church in Geneva. That means on Sundays, we'll be joining their service at 10.30. The first service that we're joining them with, it's 20 minutes away, is this coming Sunday. I thought about giving you the next weekend off, and I met with their pastor on Thursday, and he said, I'm not going to be there for the next couple of weeks. I'm in England. So if you want your church to meet me, come on Sunday the 1st. So we'll be coming on Sunday the 1st. I would love you guys to meet Dan's flock at Life Church. Many of you already know them. Uh, we will be worshiping with them. It's like a ship coming into harbor. Guy had a word that was kind of getting our navigation system updated. We're getting uh, replenished, refreshed, but more importantly, the foundation of disciple-making, discipleship is so important that we're just foregoing Sunday services for a period. You guys are going to make a big difference in Life Church. Two areas of weakness that they have, discipleship and prophetic. So when we're there, I know you will receive from them, but I also know you'll be a tremendous blessing to them. So we would love you to worship with them and with us on Sundays. If you need a ride, please uh, put it on one of these and put it in that blue box or go onto the webpage and do a, a a contact form, we will arrange for a ride with you. The very best thing you can do is be in a life group. If you can worship with us at Life Church, great. 
But more importantly, it's being in a life group and settling in a life group. Now, it's not marriage. We're not going to put handcuffs on. That's not marriage, definitely. It's not marriage. That's one illustration. Two, we're not going to put handcuffs on you and make you stay forever in that life group. But what we are saying is check a couple out. Our priority is that you're in a life group. Second, if we could choose, it would be that you're geographically near that life group. And when you've found one that you want to settle in, we just say, can you stay in it uh, without God changing uh, your location or anything else? Can you commit to being in that life group for 12 months? And if you're in a life group for 12 months and in discipleship relationships, I promise you, a lot of promises I'm making today, uh, I promise you the growth you will have is about four or five times the growth that you would have had in the last year, just in Sunday services you will realize that we all struggle with the same things. You will realize that we all need Jesus, and we all can help one another along the way. You'll also realize just how God has gifted each one of us in really, really different ways. But that works together perfectly to kind of create this symphony sound that goes up to heaven. And you have a lot to give. You'll bless life, church, but more importantly, you'll bless one another in your life group. This gives you uh, what's happening in life groups. A barrier to life groups before was no childcare and no kids' curriculum. We're paying for childcare in every one, and we'll be having curriculum from Waco's Children's Ministry in every one. We would love to have you there. I, whew, I'm exhausted. I am sweating profusely. Apologies. <laughs> Guy, instead of standing like that, you should get one with little dark bits under the armpits. It works, works a treat. Um, I would love us to worship with music. So I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Uh, Rayanne, Shage, well, put, oh, put them in the blue box, uh, your life group things. That would be very, very helpful. Uh, friends, after, uh, before I came to faith, uh, I went to Africa for a year out, and I knew, I'd been planning it for a while, doing some backpacking and teaching. I had this sense of excitement and anticipation. Like, that experience was very uh, impactful for me. And I have that exact same feeling now, this real sense of anticipation. Like, a God has brought a train into the station. It's kind of unexpected. I'm not saying step onto the train and you'll fall down the cracks. It's a simple be in a life group. We'll still have those life groups meeting around here. But I promise you, it's not going to be drama the next 12 months. It's going to be adventure. And we're so confident of God blessing what we have in store. You'll see that we have our 15th anniversary banquet celebration. We are going all out on that. It's very biblical to celebrate what God has done. It's very biblical to have a lot of enjoyment. It's very biblical at times to eat a lot. And we'll be doing all of those things. But we have booked a place in Wheaton. It's going to be very smart, high-end stuff that we'd love you to RSVP as soon as you can. I'm looking forward uh, to seeing you at Life Church next Sunday. I will keep visiting the life groups the next couple of months. So I'll still be your pastor. For leaders, if you don't want me to come, just put some red paint above the door. I think that's biblical. I'll know not to come in that night. 
But otherwise, I'll still be visiting your life groups. I love you guys. I don't want to be hidden just in a life group in Warrenville and not see you. So I'll be visiting as well, and I'm really looking forward to what's next. I'm going to hand it over to the very capable, the very handsome, am I going to say Jerry or Dan? Both and Carrie. Thank you very much.